You've reached Hoop and Holler, a Square One podcast on basketball and other shenanigans. Danny Green, I'm mad at Danny Green. I just want to thank everybody that's been in my corner during this time. With Reagan Griffin Jr. Reagan, you're the best, man. I'm the clamp guy. I am the Giannis Antetokounmpo of Lion Center. Eddie Sun. Probably won't get hired by, you know, ESPN anytime soon. Because <laughs> we don't got that clutch connection. And Julio Martinez. On uh, Giannis and the Bucks, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. Please clap. It comes from at underscore underscore uh, KLU2 on Twitter. Bro, the fact that you knew there were two underscores before the to at underscore underscore KLU. He knows your that, Twitter. That means I'm tweeting it too much. But at, when it boils down, like, that's what we're here for is the yeah. basketball. Welcome back to another episode of Hoop and Holler. It is the regular suspects, as always. Me, your host, Reagan Griffin Jr., Eddie Sun, the menace on Twitter, Julio Martinez, the menace in real life. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? I haven't asked y'all that in a while. How, how are y'all doing today? I'm doing pretty well. Had a had a good dinner. Uh, excited for the season to resume. So, yeah, yeah same here. Doing great. Uh, got done with some midterms. Um, it's been a long week without real basketball, so I'm with you there, just waiting for it to get started again. Yes, sir, and we had a couple games tonight, but the reason we were on hiatus was because of the All-Star break, and as, you know, much controversy was surrounding that with the players maybe not wanting to do it, dudes having to drop off because Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons wanted to get a haircut and whatnot, it ended up happening, and it ended up being, you know, in my opinion, it wasn't as bad as I expected it to be, but it still wasn't what it usually is. Um, you did have a dunk contest where Cassius Stanley just got absolutely skated. That was that was weak. Um, but I wanted to ask, what was y'all's like favorite part of the weekend or the I guess the day? Shoot, uh, it would have to be seeing just Steph and Dame go bonkers on the court from three. Mm. I mean, it is it is so like exciting and just. It, it, they just bring like a different wow factor to the game that obviously in my opinion that Steph started um, because the wow factor in the NBA really used to be just uber athleticism, you know, jumping out the gym, uh, getting, you know, magnificent dunks. But when, you know, first it was one step behind the three, then it was three that then, you know, Steph shoots the ball and he, he looks back before the ball goes in and then Steph, you know, gets it back to, to the logo and then they go to the freaking uh half court line so it's like no no way no way they're not gonna do it and, and they just kept doing it and then another highlight um was a short stint within the game where all the point guards were just dunking the ball yes like they, <laughs> they all they just all had a bounce that night so it, it was it I'm was sure, dope, to, dope to i'm sure you appreciate that julio you know putting on for all the closer to six feet people out there yeah, and the yeah. crazy thing was like these are three dudes that like weren't generally like cool with each other like that. Like I know Eddie, you're always talking about how Dame really don't like Steph like that, and then we already know what happens between Steph and Chris Paul. But they three, those three together, were all having fun on that particular night, throwing lives to each other. What about you, Eddie? What's your favorite part? I think it's easily the three point contest, mm. and for whatever reason, the three point contest never disappoints. Um, I don't know whether it's because of the format or because they always get like very good shooters to participate. Um, but like it never disappoints. And um, obviously this year with Steph Curry, even though I tweeted out earlier in the day, I said he's not going to win the contest because he's not a rack shooter. Um, but I was proven wrong. You know, sometimes the, the, the innate abilities just shine through. And 
That was really fun. I'll be honest. It was really fun watching him do that. You think too much, bro. It's the greatest shooter of all time, bro. He he, he was hedging his bets. You know how he he was. But but he was one in five. Or, yeah, he was like one in four or one in five going in, going into this event. He's not, like, he's not good at it, you know? Like, he's... I mean, I mean... You know, Steph isn't. You know, on a on a given on any given night. You know, Steph is easily the best shooter along with Clay Thompson. But obviously, when you're bringing the best shooters in the NBA, you know, all to a competition, you know, you're not gonna winning one out of six times isn't bad. It's not bad. Yeah. You're with the best I, shooters in the NBA. People, people get hot. People get hot. Um, for I me, do. I do want to say though, I'm tired of analysts and Stephen A. and whoever's on TV saying that Steph is the greatest shooter of all time, not because I think it's not true, but because I feel like it's diminishing his legacy to this point. Like, I feel like every time Steph is on TV, like you hear commentators go, this is the greatest shooter of all time. And that's like all they say for, you know, 10 minutes straight. Like, he's so much more than just shooting. You know, I feel like people think all he does is jack up shots. Yes, but that's his greatest kind of accomplishment you know, that's not really like a trophy. What I hate about Stephen A saying that is that, you know, he's, he started this about like three years ago. He's like, and I've said this before, he is the greatest shooter of all time. Like it's some, like it's some, uh, 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 you know, hot take. No, it's, it's, it's easily to it's see. Like he obvious. still says it like it's some hot take. Like people will disagree with him and say Ray Allen or, or Reggie Miller. Like, I mean, that, there's still people I that would that. still say that. Don't get me wrong. Like, the, the Shaqs and the Chucks of the world might end up saying it might be a Ray Allen or it might be a even a Kyle Korver or a freaking Steve Kerr just because it's hard to let go of the past. But, no, yeah, Stephen Curry's the greatest shooter of all time, and that's not disputed. I will say, though, but, like, without getting too much deeper into this rabbit hole, that I think that future generations, you're going you're gonna to find a better shooter than Steph Curry. But you're not going to find players as good as Steph, like, it's like one in a billion chance and it's not because he's a great shooter but it's because he has everything else in his game and i just feel like well sometimes the commentators and the Stephen a's dumb down his game to just he's a he's a shooter he's a great shooter like he's he's you know so much more yeah. multifaceted than I, that. I, like uh, obviously people who know basketball knows but I, I was watching um what was it dev in the lab they were doing a thing on like the best finishers in the nba like we're talking about the best finishers outside of kyrie steph's probably number two when we talk about the best ball handlers in the NBA, outside of Kyrie, Steph, probably number two. So, like, yeah, like you said, there's a lot more to his game. But because the shooting is so otherworldly, that's probably why people emphasize it so much. But, Julio, you were about to say something. Yeah, the, the thing about Steph that it's, it's because people think in, in – I, I guess people should be much more clear, and that's including me when I say he's the greatest shooter of all time. People assume that to be, like – Go look at his percentages. What did he shoot, you know, season by season? That's not that's not even close to what I'm saying. When I say he's the greatest shooter of all time, when, when people say that, they obviously include, you know, not, not just his catch-and-shoot ability, but because that, that's what mostly 99% of the best shooters of all time, that's what they do. They're just catch-and-shoot shooters. Clay Thompson, Ray Allen, you know, all, all these Reggie. other – Kyle Korver, Reggie Miller, predominantly – uh, uh, catch and shoot shooters. Steph does it off the dribble and off the move, going left, right, step backs over defenders. He looks away. You know he, he's pushed around because he's so skinny, and yet he, he, you know, he makes these shots. 
And that's what makes him otherworldly. It's not just because he's a catch-and-shoot shooter. It's everything that he does up until that shot that makes him special. That's an interesting tangent that we went on, y'all. I do want to ask the question, though. Um, Julio, you brought it up. Seeing Steph and Dame go at it with one another for the first time was pretty cool. Um, I want to ask the question, like, we saw some pretty cool tandems, right? Steph and Dame, Steph and Braun, Steph and Giannis. There's a whole lot of Steph in there. You saw some Luka and Jokic. You saw some pretty cool tandems go with one another. Who would be the most fun pairing of every NBA player in the league right now? Who would who would you not the best, right? That's pretty obvious. I don't think anyone here would dispute LeBron and Stephen Curry, but who would be the most fun for you to watch? Which pairing? The most fun for me to watch would easily be, and it exists right now. And it, it, my my experience is very subjective, and I understand that you know. I'm not one to marvel at guys, you know, jumping at the gym or, uh, uh, you know, I love the three-point shot, but there's something I love more than, you know, all those things. And that's just downright basketball skill set. So when I watch Kyrie and KD play, I mean, it's like Christmas morning every every time I watch them play. So it already, it, it already exists for me. So, um, yeah, that, that's, that's my piece. Mm, interesting. What about you, Eddie? To me, I think who, who, it would who's have with to Steph? Be... Who, who's with Steph? Let's be clear. Because we yeah. know Steph's going to be one of them. He's going to say I'm, Steph I'm and Cat. You're going to say Steph and Cat, aren't you? No, I said I was going to say Steph and Jokic because okay. to me, yeah. I think those are the two most creative uh, basketball players right now, like, you know, in, in the NBA. And it feels like in the past you've had a lot of, you know, all-star game tampering discussions like Steph and Giannis, you know, are they going to team up? Or maybe it was like Steph and KD or it was KD and Kyrie and all that. But, you know, it feels like Steph and Jokic, like that's never going to be a conversation where you feel like one person's recruiting another. So I like that, that it feels natural. Um, but, you know, I think, I think, you know, like it's just a very creative combo. Like you got good passers, dude who can shoot. Like both players just memor- mesmerize the way they play on the court. Um, if I had to pick a second one, it would probably be Luka and Jokic, though, for sure. Mm, it feels like they move that. at their own pace. <laughs> how about this? Because this is probably a little bit out of left field, but y- y'all know how I think about basketball. Like, the results will be what the results will be, but I just want to have fun watching the shit. Give me Ja Morant and Zion Williamson, man. Like, they neither one of them can really shoot like that, but come on now. You know you're getting in some freaking crazy lobs in there. You, you know you're getting some... I thought we said I thought we said they have to be all-stars or something. No, no, if anyone in the league, but, you know. Well, no, no, actually, let's make them all-stars, because if not, Eddie's going to choose Chris Middleton and and, uh, Robert. I'm I'm just (laughs) Chris Middleton and Robert Covington? (laughs) Come on now. But, no, yeah, I mean, John Morant's a all-star in my heart anyway. Also, shout-out Mike Conley for making that all-star game. Slid him in there at the last second. My boy, my dog, finally got his just due. Um, But, yeah, John Morant is on. I think we can all agree, though, that, uh, Zion Williamson in his NBA career hasn't been uh, like Blake Griffin esque, uh, uh, like just marveling at him as a player uh, on a, a night in night out basis. Well, I, now maybe not from a highlight standpoint, but you watch. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. When you watch him play, like the dude. Well, I, again, I was watching this Devin the Lab like top five finishers in the NBA, and it almost like registered me. Why? Why do we not consider Zion Williamson one of the top finishers in the NBA? 
That dude has such insane touch around the rim. And granted, he's like a leaper. We usually associate finishing with guards. But, like, the way that dude's capable of finishing amongst the trees, because remember, he's only 6'6", his touch is really incredible. I I mean, the same thing you did last year when you said Giannis was an underrated finisher, you know. It's not. That's that's not the same thing. Exactly. No, no. That's exactly my point. I was just about to bring that up. So, when, when, um, you know, you think about finishing – like, yeah, th- these dudes have super high percentages. And when you think of Giannis, he's just flushing down everything. And so is Zion. And Zion has that little thing where even if he doesn't uh, uh, dunk the ball, like he'll get hit and he can still finish with his left hand. Yeah. But finishing is so much more than that. Like, like on, on the one hand, it, it is percentages. But on the other, it's like your ability to, you know, uh, flip the ball off one side of the glass or and the other side with both hands both ways it's like there's a lot of skill that goes well zion is an ambidextrous finisher and granted he doesn't put a whole lot of english on the ball but the dude does have like insane touch so even if it is more of a pushing motion than a twisting motion the dude gets the ball where it needs to go at a higher rate and the way that really impresses me is just the acrobatics that he does in the air as he's finishing like it's not ja morant-esque but like Kind of, for somebody of that size, the way he's able to navigate through the air, and, and he really almost gets slippery up there, slipperier than you'd expect for somebody that's 270 pounds. Like, it, it, I don't know. For me, I get a lot of joy out of watching Zion. You know, we didn't expect layups from this dude as much as we're getting, but the way he hits him, it, it's it's pretty impressive to me. I don't know. Maybe that's not the hill to die on, but... I do want to go ahead and keep it pushing. Let's go ahead and get to our topic matter for today. Starting with some trade rumors, man. I want to start over in your jurisdiction, Eddie. The Golden State Warriors. Y'all got Victor Oladipo possibly coming through. How do you feel about that? I hope not. Hope I mean, not. <laughs> like I keep keep on. I don't. I don't understand it. You know, this feels like this. This feels like the front office is trying to be. Is trying to play this middle ground, you know. It's like they don't want to give up their young talent, but they also want to get like incrementally better, and that's not going to get you anywhere, you know. Like, if they want to develop for the future, which I don't think they should, but if they do feel like that they want to do that, then go ahead and keep your picks and keep James Wiseman. But if they're smart and if they care about Steph Curry and they care about the fans, you know, go get Bradley Beal. Like, go get yourself another disgruntled star. I don't know who else is out there. But Oladipo is one. He's not. He hasn't been great this year. I wouldn't feel confident about committing a lot of money to him anyways. And two, it's like, if you're having to give up a pick or something, you know, that that's already a price too hefty in my eyes. I mean, Eddie, Eddie hit the nail on the head. Like, that, that I, I couldn't have said it any better. And, um... You know, my, my overall point with that is, is just just what you said. If you're going to trade for someone, trade for a Bradley Beal, trade for a Zach Levine, trade for dudes like that. I'm about and tired you perfect, of you put, you put Bradley Beal and Zach Levine Only, coming up on this podcast, okay? Why, why we always got to talk about those two guys as like they're the only two players that's possible to trade for? I'll say this about Victor Oladipo. is nowhere near them, and he's not going to – what Eddie said, he's not going to get you to that place that you claim that you want to go to. He, he's just not – just because maybe he's a little bit cheaper in terms of you know trading assets for. But this man just turned down a, a max extension from the Rockets. You think you're a max player? You, you expect me to sign you to a max extension or contract? 
get out of here, bro. And, and even if you, you weren't like that and you just wanted like 25 mil or whatever, whatever, like you're not that player. You're not that player that you were, that you think uh, uh, you are, that you were, you know, a few years ago before your injury. Um, so th- that's just not a, a good move on, on their part. Better to trade for, you know, better role guys that will eventually fit around Steph and Clay going forward. Here's what I see when I look at, at Victor Oladipo. And yes, there's a, there's a discussion to be had around the fact that he's not the player that he was when he was an all-star. When he was, uh, didn't he win most improved player, right? Um, when all that in Indiana. Um, he's not the same dude, or at least he hasn't shown himself to be the same dude that he was at that point in time. But what you have is a very good defender. What you have is a guy who's capable of scoring for himself. You have a guy who can play on and off the ball. You have a guy that's kind of perfect to be playing next to Stephen Curry. And if you want to get even a little bit better this year, because we talk about how the Warriors, they're peddling sticks right now. They're over here in the ninth seed. They might not even make the playoffs. If you want to at least go out there and compete, Victor Oladipo gets you to the next level. And it's not even going to cost you that much. Hell, you might be able to offload Kelly Oubre to do that. The goal. The goal I mean, is. I'd rather have Kelly Uber than Oladipo right now. Hell no! Don't even say that. The don't goal, say that. Don't say that. You don't. You don't mean that. You don't mean that. I do. I, I've come around on Kelly Uber. He's 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 really inserted himself into the system. Well, he's gotten his shot around. He's been a great defender all year. Good finisher. Good rebounder. Energy guy. Like the, he does everything that you would want Oladipo to do. Ideally, the goal is not to compete, bro. Like right now, it's not. To, you know that this is not their year. So why why try to get into the AC, get knocked out first round in this year's playoffs? The goal should be going forward, winning. You know, optimizing these next next three, four uh, prime years that Steph has in order to win maybe one, two chips if, if you can. So. Anything but that should be unacceptable. You have a better shot, and my by my estimation, of winning with a lineup of Stephen Curry, Victor Oladipo, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, James Wiseman, or if you want to say Andrew Wiggins and Draymond Green, and throw James Wiseman off the bench. That's a better lineup to me than Kelly Oubre. I can't believe you just sat up here and said well, that. No, Vic- but that, I mean that that's assuming that they make no other moves. That there's no other. Well, that's that's also saying that Clay is. You know, Clay is playing this year. He's not playing this. He's year. not playing this year. I'm saying I'm talking about moving forward, right? Uh, and no, I, that's, that's assuming that Victor Oladipo sticks around past this year. Is the assumption that I'm making? Hmm. Oh, I, think I just go ahead. I one, it's like I don't want any more non-shooters playing next to Steph. You know, like it's frustrating enough to to you know see like three or four other guys in the lineup who can barely spark with three play next to him. And I also watched Bradley Beal play today, and, you know, he was creating chaos all over the floor. He was running, you know, from one end to one end, chasing defenders around him. You know, if you put him and Steph on the same floor, and especially once Clay comes back healthy, that's maximum chaos. I'm, I'm, I'm putting a stop to this. I'm putting a stop to this. No, we're done. This, 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 it ends this episode. Bradley Beal is not going anywhere. Let it go, Julio. Let it go, Eddie. He's not. Bro, that man's talking about he's happier in Washington playing. Westbrook's the best teammate he's ever had. Washington's talking about they're not trying to trade him. Bradley Beal ain't going no damn where until Bradley Beal says he wants to leave. And Bradley Beal has not indicated that he wants to leave anytime soon. He ain't going nowhere. He ain't going nowhere. Bradley Beal is a Washington wizard. 
he's doing the franchise a favor by upping his value so they can get the most back for what they can for Bradley Beal. I promise you he'll be perfectly happy with living, you know, in the Bay Area and competing for a championship for the next five years. Oh, and if he thinks Russell Westbrook is the greatest teammate he's ever had, imagine what he's going to think about stuff. He just hasn't played with good teammates ever. I mean, that's really what it is. Imagine what he's going to think about Steph Curry. We can talk about Bradley Beal's Stockholm Syndrome some other time. We can get into that because it's a fair argument to have. But the reality of the situation is Bradley Beal is a Washington Wizard and he has not indicated at any point in time in the future that's going to change. Let the Bradley Beal thing go. He ain't going nowhere. I'm sorry. I know it's free. Hashtag free Bradley Beal on this podcast. But, like, we got to look at reality. I'm so happy happy that Eddie's finally, you know, fully just 110% (laughs) on this train. Next step is to get uh, Reagan on this train. I'm on the train. I would love to see Bradley Beal go play for the Washington Wizards. But the difference between y'all and me is I deal in reality. Bradley Beal's not going nowhere. He's not going nowhere. I'm sorry. Now, if we want to talk Zach Levine, perhaps, maybe. That's a name I've actually heard involved in some trade rumors. But, like, Bradley Beal's name isn't even out there at this point. Anytime Bradley Beal, people talk about Bradley Beal getting traded, it's in the context of, hell, we would like to see him get traded. He would have a better, by our estimation, right? We can't speak for the dude, but we feel like he would have a better time if he got traded. But hell, Bradley Beal has not indicated that he wants to get traded. The most we've seen him indicate that is him having poor body language like two months ago. Other than that, what what, what indication do we have that Bradley Beal's headed out of Washington anytime soon? Well, look, if Bradley Beal is unattainable and uh, Joel Embiid doesn't want out and, uh, you know, whatever other star player doesn't want out, then, I mean, I guess fine. I guess the Warriors are out of options. You know, go ahead and build around James Wiseman and and go build around that Minnesota pick and whatever. But Victor Oladipo will get you from losing in four games to losing in six games in the first round. I'm not trying to give up anything for that result. Hmm. Well, let's go ahead and get into another name that's kind of floating around the market right now. Harrison Barnes. I saw an interesting, y'all know Nikias on Twitter. I'm sure you do, Eddie. I saw an interesting um, tweet that was like, who's better, Harrison Barnes or, or Larry Nance Jr.? I said Larry Nance Jr., but I might have been wilding on that. I think it's more of a who would I rather have than who's actually yeah, better. Yeah, who would you um, rather have versus... Yeah, but yeah, it, for, for me, it's clear as day that I would rather have Larry Nance Jr. than Harrison Barnes. But apparently the Boston Celtics and Danny Ainge might want Harrison Barnes. How do we feel about that? They should want both players, honestly. Would be perfect to fit on their team. Mm. But Harrison Barnes, you know, I feel like will always be a Warriors legend for missing 53s during that final series. But he's actually been a very, you know, he's been he's been more than solid for Sacramento this year. And I think he's like the ideal 3 and D wing you want. But he also has like added versatility and that he can guard up, you know, like, and, and like he's always been a pretty good three-point shooter. You don't want him to do too much more with the ball on the offensive end. But, you know, for Boston, I know, I know you brought up, well, they already have – uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, why would they want another wing? Well, you can never have enough wings in this NBA. And also, when you look at the depth behind Brown and Tatum, the next best wing they have right now is Shemi Ojale, maybe. You know, and he he's like Shemi playable, pun intended. So, <laughs> Don't I'm laugh at saying, that. Don't laugh see. at that whack-ass shit. <laughs> he's Shemi playable. Like, Rick. <laughs> Don't come for Shemi Ojale like that. Shemi, we love you. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry on his back. But, 
But Harrison Barnes, I think, will be like really good in the sort of Gordon Hayward-ish role that they had last year. And we all know that they really miss Gordon Hayward this year in, in, in terms of that wing depth. So, again, like I don't think the cost will be that heavy. Like You don't have to give up that much. And it's not like his contract is going to be a burden or anything. It's that, you know, they need to compete now. I said last year that if Boston doesn't win two championships in the next seven years, if they have six years left, it would be a disappointment. So the clock is ticking. Yeah, you keep you know, they track. better start winning now. You go come back here another year. Like, All right, you only got five years left, man. Because <laughs> it's not happening this year. That's for damn sure. What you think, Julio? Harrison Barnes to Boston. Yeah, so so my thing with the Harrison Barnes uh, stuff, I, I'm, I don't know. I, I just have really, really mixed feelings about it. So obviously he's not a super exciting player, but I I do think that Eddie always tries to shoot the man uh, because he tries to prop up Steph a lot. Um, so he, he likes to shoot all the players around Steph down to, to make Steph look like a hero, right? Man, is that like he had no is that help. Eddie? Is that Eddie so <laughs> so uh, you know my my thoughts on Harrison Barnes are um, you know he, he's a he's a solid player and you know to the point that Eddie made that. Um, the, the other wings surrounding Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown just aren't all that, you know, I, I don't want to say playable, but, like, can really make an impact on the game. And Harrison Barnes is a guy who not only can do that, but he has, you know, experience in the playoffs, in the finals. And something that's really been hurting the, the Celtics have obviously been injuries, too, with, you know, Kemba Walker hasn't really been 100% healthy this whole season. Plus, Marcus Smart is, you know, Marcus Smart with, with you know, the, the unfortunate calf injury um, that, that he has. And, you know, get, getting, in my opinion, getting Harrison Barnes, a guy who can, I'm not, I'm not saying he can play point guard, but he can handle the rock. He can be a, I don't want to say a dependable scorer, but, you know, he, he'll get his 15. So um, he, it's just a guy that I feel like that the Celtics can get for, you know, safety reasons that they're going to need going forward. Hmm. What do we think that the um, the sort of package that Danny is? Because we know how that dude can be. He's not going to give up any more than he really wants to. And even if it's a, just an extra second-round pick that he want, that the other team wants him to slide, he'll back the hell up out of a deal so quick you'd think he... I don't have a finish for that, but he'll back out of the deal. So what do we think a trade package for Harrison Barnes look like? What, what would the Kings be asking for from the Celtics? Well... Would a third team need to enter the deal? Because isn't how much money? So, so Boston can actually take on twenty eight million extra because of the Gordon Hayward okay. exception that they got. Mm-hmm. So they actually don't have to give up anything. Okay. So um, are we looking at? I don't know. You'd probably throw them like Peyton Pritchard. <laughs> they need Peyton Pritchard. I don't think they'd be willing to part ways with them. Um, Especially shoot. since it's Boston, I would say I would say whatever their first rounder is this year, like it's probably going to be in like the fifteen to twenty ish range. Mm-hmm. That's probably enough, honestly. I think so. I hope Danny Ainge is not too stingy to. Feel no, like they want to keep that. Up. Would not give up a first rounder. That's that's why it's kind of hard. Like I feel like he wouldn't even give up Robert Williams, you know. And I I'm a guy who kind of you know advocates for more Robert Williams playing time. Because uh, he just brings energy to the floor, but I, I, I don't even think that he would want to give him up. Mm. So I don't know. Tristan Thompson, anyone? <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. I, I feel like 
You made the a comparison to Gordon Hayward. I feel like the role he takes on would be more akin to what we saw a few years back. Not Gordon Hayward, but Marcus Morris. In terms of like, like you said, fifteen a game, but we really need you. Your focus kind of has to be like clamping up on the other end, because, um, you know, he, he kind of has a level of like you said, athletic versatility on the defensive end that allows him to match up pretty well with a lot of dudes that they're going to need to stop come playoff time. The Chris Middletons of the world, potentially the Ben Simmons of the world, if Tatum doesn't want to handle that. So, um, yeah, it could be interesting. I, I, Harrison Barnes isn't a name that I've really thought of in recent years just because of the Kings and. Harrison small Williams. markets because of small markets. No, it's just because yeah. of the Kings. You know, I love my small market team, man. Memphis Grizzlies till I die, but it's just the Kings. So stagnant. So stagnant over there in Sacramento. Last but not least, let's talk like about one, one small market team. What? I love multiple small market teams. I love the Memphis Grizzlies. I love the Vancouver Grizzlies when they were a thing. <laughs> I love, I mean, shoot. Who else is a small market team? I like OKC. I'm the biggest Lou Dort advocate out here. Come on now. Who else is a small market team? Uh, 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 you don't. Shoot. Who's a small market team? Maybe I don't Indiana. Yeah. I kind of like Indiana. Not that much. Not as much as Eddie likes Indiana. Eddie would have more of a claim to that than I would. Anyways, let's go ahead and keep it pushing, man. Let's get into Blake Griffin bought out by the Detroit Pistons. How much money to leave on the table? Like 10, 11 million, 18, some, some obscene amount of money that I didn't think he would leave on the table, but he got out of that Detroit contact, and he put pen to the paper to go sign with the Brooklyn Nets, go chase him a championship. How do we feel about the former All-Star, the former All-NBA player, Blake Griffin, going, rejoining his former front court mate, DeAndre Jordan, joining forces with Kevin Durant, joining forces with Kyrie Irving, joining forces with Jay. There's a lot of talent on that team, man. How do we feel about Blake Griffin joining the Nets? Um, shoot, I, I just, I, I have so many opinions about it. it. It was like, so when I first saw the notification, the post on Instagram, uh, I just kind of chuckled because it's like, how, like, <laughs> I just tried to place myself, you know, five years ago and just imagined. <laughs> like, like if someone, someone would have told you that in the future. <laughs> if someone would have told me that Kyrie, KD. James Harden and Blake Griffin were on the same team. I'd be like, "Shit!" Oh, yeah. and, and DeAndre for, for five years ago, DeAndre was hooping. Yeah, for for the Olympics or for an All Star game, sure, like okay, <laughs> but not for an actual team. Um, but fast forward, here we are now. Blake Griffin is obviously not the player that he once was, um, and I'm happy that the Lakers actually did not pick him up um, because I just don't think he's reliable. He's not a rim protector. We don't need another. Uh, a dependable scorer if he's still that um so I, I think this this fit will need getting used to james harden is obviously in my yeah in my estimation the only real reliable passer on the on that team and granted he, he he's a good passer but um yeah I, I just don't know how blake griffin can play he, Obviously, he, he can shoot the ball, but like he, he what, can move the ball too. Blake Griffin's a pretty good passer. He, he can move the ball. No, I'm saying outside of Blake Griffin, people who handle the ball, who can facilitate the ball to mm. Blake Griffin, because I mean he's not going to have any plays ran for him, yeah. so it's not like he's going to get. Uh, he put he he will get you know one on one matchups and easy buckets every now and then, but he's not a high flying big who can catch lobs off of pick and rolls anymore. So. It, most of his things are going to be like as a stretch five and it's it's just not going to be exciting and I just 
I don't know how many minutes he's going to get. So, yeah, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. I'm with you that he's probably best utilized as a stretch five. And side note, like, you know, if Blake Griffin's a center on that Brooklyn team, like DeAndre Jordan might be, like, the fourth best center right now on that team. So, you know, I don't know. It's probably in their best interest to use him as, like, a bench cheerleader or something. But, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, be coming for folks, but honestly, Apologies, like, DeAndre. I think, <laughs> and, I mean, anyways, so the thing that Blake Griffin that really interested me was that the same day that he signed with Brooklyn was the same day he announced that he had, like, a show coming out on Comedy Central. So I don't think that's coincidental. I feel like he's been reserving energy you know, in the tank in Detroit this year and recovering from surgery last year. Everyone's talking about he's going to go to Brooklyn and start dunking again. I 120% believe that, you know, he's going to start, he's going to do like what Nick Batum did for the Clippers, except, you know, Blake Griffin's a bigger name. Bro, you know, like, I, I think he'll play revitalized basketball. That's, I, that's... I, do agree, I do agree because I do hold the same theory that Bro was just not trying in Detroit because he didn't want to be there. He knew his career wouldn't finish there and he knew he was going to get bought out, so why even try? I, 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 do, I do 100% believe uh, in that. And then while we're on the topic really quickly, because I've been meaning to say it on this podcast about net centers, um, Nicholas, uh, uh, what's his name? Claxton? Nick Claxton, Claxton is Bro, very good. Can we start paying attention to this dude because I don't know what the hell the the Nets or you know was he drafted? Was he drafted? He was drafted yeah. last year. So, so I don't know what the hell the the Nets love to do with this, and I know it's it's to keep KD and Kyrie happy, but you 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 have guys behind DeAndre Jordan who have so much potential and as much as i love jared allen this dude claxton has more potential than jared allen i mean he can run he can move and he can shoot the ball unlike jared allen this dude is so athletic and i just think he has so much upside that the nets have to start developing him and playing him with the star players so he gets used to that playing time because who knows deandre jordan you know how he's going to be in the playoffs um, but that that dude Claxton can ball, bro. He he can ball. See, he y'all say ball. that, but then I'll, I'll put a picture of Nicholas Claxton, Nerlens Noel, and Rashawn Holmes up together. You'd be like, w- w- what's the difference? It's all the same to me. Like y'all just gonna be like, that's all the same. And I'll be like, those are all three top ten centers. So Nerlens Noel can't shoot like Nick Claxton. That's fair. Nick Claxton. He can no. Nick Claxton can play, and he he's showed some stuff as of late. Um, where was I going with that? I forget, but yeah, I, I, I it's fu- no, that's where I was going. That is one hell of a conspiracy theory, Eddie. <laughs> that he used his signing with the Nets as a means of promoing his new show on Comedy Central. That might be a conspiracy theory that rivals the uh, frozen envelope. That might rival the gambling stuff with Jordan in the NBA. Like Blake Griffin's using the freaking Nets signing as promo for Comedy Central. That's funny. Man. I mean, listen, Blake. Blake is the best. Hollywood person in the NBA ever, in my opinion. Like, he's the best actor, comedian, Hollywood personality, like, whatever, like, everything that comes with it. He'll be a great, you know, actor person for years after his career. I mean, he could retire right now and and get gigs if he wanted to. When that, when that, when that promo came out, I was like, what the hell is this dude doing? Like, if you were at the height of your career, you know, five years ago, did the, all right, cool. You know, you're, you're Blake Griffin. Now, I was like, 
why the hell is he doing a game show? Go focus on your basketball that, you know, you're obviously underwhelming at. And it's like, but that that is a good theory that, you know, uh, I, I didn't think about it like that, but that's probably true. That's probably true. Hey, man. You know what? Shout out Blake Griffin. New opportunities for you. New life to you, brother. You get to go to uh, the Nets and compete for a championship. You have a new show coming out of Comedy Central. It sounds like life is good for that man right now. So all power to him. And he's in Brooklyn instead of Detroit. And he's in Brooklyn instead of Detroit. You can't ask for more. You can't ask for more than that, man. You get to play alongside some of the best players in the world. They're going to be feeding you easy buckets. You really don't have to do a whole lot of stuff for yourself anymore. It's like you're chilling right now if you're Blake Griffin. Um, in terms of his fit on the Nets, I kind of agree with y'all that it's going to be a bit herky-jerky at first, but I see a lot of potential in Blake Griffin as somebody, as a role man. Granted, he can't get up the way that he used to, but it's not like he's incapable of dunking. We saw some footage of him the other day. He still has some bounce left in his knees. I see a lot of potential for him as like a dribble handoff guy. I see him as a, a short role, um, somebody who you can feed in the post and then you know he can kick out to me shoot the Blake Griffin to Joe Harris kick out in the corner I guarantee you you see that at least two three times a game because that that's just easy for um both Blake Griffin and Joe Harris but no yeah that, I think it's something that works over time man I, I think I mean is he gonna add a little bit more diversity uh, as a big as a traditional big man not as a center but like as a forward big type in this league uh, uh add diversity on that end on the offensive end Sure, because they don't really have a guy like that right now. But how much boosting do you really need on the offensive end? The 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 help where you really need it is on the other side, um, and that's if you're gonna play, you know, a defender in, in the freaking lineup because you have four guys who aren't great defenders, but you know, just light it up on the floor. So I don't know if you want to play five, you know, I don't want to say bad defenders, but just people who just don't really play deep. No, the thing is, you look at some of the teams that they're going to have to end up playing and route the, um, the Eastern Conference Finals and the NBA Finals. One guy that uh, we always knew was going to give them trouble was Joel Embiid. And I'm not by any stretch of the word trying to say that Blake Griffin can give Joel Embiid any sort of problems. They're most definitely going to have to throw two bodies at him with a third kind of looking and kind of poking at the ball a little bit. Um, but what they lacked was like an anchor. You know what I mean? Somebody that can like physically stop Joel Embiid from moving as much as he wanted to move in addition to that double team help side. Um, Blake Griffin already immediately on that team is probably the best anchor as, as sort of a, a movable object. Even though he's not the greatest defender, he's not going to like get back down very easily. So I, I think at least in that respect, he helps out a little bit. Um, but yeah, Blake Griffin's by no stretch of the word going to help them all that much defensively. But like Eddie always says, play into your strengths, just become a team that's going to drop 170 points on a team. Don't give him a prayer, bro. Um, I do think that I, that um, he brings like this sort of secondary playmaking that the Nets don't have. Yes. And I think that, you know, like obviously they have enough riches. The rich don't need to get that much richer. But it's kind of a wrinkle for a team that I think every team could use a secondary playmaker. Um, Bruce Brown is that guy for them right now. And he's been really good at it. But, you know, Blake Griffin is that, but just with more size. And, and you know, he's, he's probably better fit for that uh, position. So I think there's definitely a role carved out for him to enter once he gets there. It's not like they're trying to rework anything around him. Mm-hmm. So it should be pretty seamless, I think. And it's likely that he buys in, too, because he, he knows what he's getting into, right? It's not like he's going to go in there and try to up 
uproot anything that they've already accomplished. Um, he's going to go in and do exactly what they asked him to do because it's like, you know, why not go get you a chip? Also, ironic that in all likelihood, by my estimation, Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan are getting chips before CP3. That's just kind of backwards to me. But with that said, we can go ahead and keep it pushing to our last topic of the day, which is eluding me right now. Were we going to talk about we're going to talk about the three-point. Do you want to talk? We, we, talk about threes? We can get into it. Yeah, we got time. We got we got time today. Okay, we got time to get into it. Uh, we're only at 40 minutes. Let, let's hop into it. So, a lot has been floating around Twitter lately. Our guy, the guy, you know, you've probably seen us. We, we've had lunch with Rob Parker a couple of times. That's an adjunct professor at USC, the school that we attend. He posted something on Deadspin talking about uh, Curry's threes have ruined the NBA or something like that. Rob, we love you. I don't think any of us here agree with you on that one, but there's been a lot of talk about, you know, the NBA three and how, what, what it's done to the game of basketball. I don't want to pose any questions. I just want to hand the floor to y'all um, in terms of the dialogue that's been had on, on Twitter as of late regarding the three. So, so it's not know. just Rob Parker, to be clear. There's even been anonymous NBA executives. We love that phrase, but they've come out and said that the NBA is going to be looking at a real problem soon when, teams are going to start taking 50 and 60 and then 70 or, or, you know, 83s a game. It's that they think it takes away from the kind of diversity and strategy of the game, which there's some credence to it. And also that it's just going to be so impossible for defenses to offer any sort of resistance because you're going to have five, not just five floor spacers, but five legit shooters on the floor at any given position. Because every new generation of players that's coming in is learning how to shoot, no matter if you're seven foot five or you're, you know, five foot five. Um, and it's that teams have said, you know, like we have to start thinking about is this sustainable? You know, is it good for the game that we keep progressing in this direction? And I think that's a completely valid question. What I wouldn't do is what some people suggested was get rid of the three point line and let's go back to 1960s Will Chamberlain basketball. Peach basketball. Um, <laughs> Let's get into it. That, that, that's definitely not the solution. But, I mean, there's been various kind of things thrown out there, like, you know, how jump shooters and, and jump shot fouls, three-point fouls should be legislated. Should jump shooters be given as much leniency? Um, there's been talks about, you know, like, are we punishing offensive players that kind of go in the paint too much versus the three-point shot, you know, because it's like we call so many charges and when we do this and that. Um you know, there's also talks about like, you know, do we do we make it a four point line instead of a three point line, which is something I brought up, which is pretty ridiculous. But yeah, there, there's various things out there. I wonder how you guys kind of feel about those sort of ideas. I mean, people just over exaggerate whenever they, uh, I don't know, they, they just swing to the other side of the pendulum. And it's like, I don't know whether, you know, and we've seen in the past that even if you try to shoot a billion threes, that it's not always going to work. The, the Rockets could shoot, like, 73s in a game and miss, you know, 39, 49 straight, whatever it was, 29 straight, and it's not going to turn out well for you, you know? You have to have a strategy because if you don't, you're just bombing threes, you know, bombs away. It's not going to work out, so you're going to get punished for that, and, you know, the game is still about strategy and will always be about, you know, obviously it's about talent and all that, but you have to put the talent in the right places, um, you know, with coaching strategies and, you know, all that jazz. So, people, uh, I don't know, people just over-exaggerate. No, nothing should change, uh, at least in this moment. Um, and But the, the one thing that I will say about 
uh, referees and the way that they ref uh, three-point shooters and how they get fouled is if, you know, I, I actually had this brought up to me, like, if you ran the NBA, how could you fix the problem of these refs? Because, you know, uh, uh, and that's another uh, thing that people exaggerate on, but I will say that refs had not been in a good light lately um, with a bunch just calling horrible games uh, uh, and horrible calls in crucial moments. Um, but my thing is, if I ran the NBA, I would at least have refs, you know, with solid you know with basketball knowledge and background that is knowing basketball movements and knowing you know just the natural intricacies of of just basketball movements because if you don't and you don't you can't predict what certain players are likely to do in certain situations then you don't know what an offensive or defensive foul uh, is or you don't know players intentions so that's one thing that I feel like the NBA can look, you know, forward to and towards that, you know, where, where they can help fix this issue. But other than that, you know, with the three point line, I just think everything else is silly. Yeah. I, I like that idea. Maybe not necessarily with, with the intention of like predictive, cause that's kind of how you put it. Like, but what's kind of just knowing how, how basketball movements look right. And, and a lot of times when we see these sort of pseudo fouls get called, it's like, well, clearly no one, when you watch that guy shoot 40 times when he's wide open, his leg doesn't kick out like that. So that's an unnatural way for him to move when he's shooting. Those are the sorts of things that people without a basketball background or even who just haven't watched the game a lot or watched specific players a lot wouldn't pick up on. Um, so at least if you're going to be drawing a foul, you'd have to be subtle about it or at least more subtle than players have been as of late. Um, so I like that idea. I think that would be something, you know, not just people who have refed a lot of basketball, but also just been around basketball a lot, whether that's in the capacity of coaching, playing, analyzing, watching, whatever the case may be. On the note of the threes, here's not my theory, but the theory that I subscribe to. I forget who it is, whoever it is that came out with this theory, you know, all power to you, all credit to you. Um, but it's basically the idea that as the three point error becomes more and more popular, defenses are going to be more and more oriented on stopping the three. And and we've kind of already seen glimpses of that. Like the Lakers are one of the better defenses in the NBA as of late. And they put an emphasis on taking away the three-point line. The Bucks put a pretty good emphasis on it. Right? The Bucks take away the three in in the rim. Um, So the teams that take away the three-point line tend to do a better job defensively. So as we see that, that's when I think that pendulum you were talking about, Julio, start to shift back a little bit as teams place more of an emphasis on stopping teams from shooting so many threes. That's when that mid-range is going to open up and we're going to see a whole lot of floaters. We're going to see a whole lot more of those longer twos instead of everything existing either at the rim or at the three-point line because as defenses become more oriented on stopping threes, that percentage is going to drop and drop and drop and drop and the expected value is going to drop with it and teams are going to stop wanting to pull it as much. And, and I mean, players aren't stupid, and coaches aren't stupid. So whenever you see Steph or Kyrie, it's funny, or Dame, or I'm just choosing like the smallest dudes. Whenever they get there by their man, even if they're all the way back at the three point line, whenever they get by their man, it's almost like I don't know if you guys noticed this, but even in in the in competitive moments, crucial moments of a game, or when the game has just started out when you know people aren't tired and it's not a blowout whenever those even the smallest guys get by their man even if it's all the way back to the three-point line it's almost like they have a layup 
right? Like it, like a wide open layup because players are so spread out that it's almost like this the ocean is just wide open. So it's, players aren't stupid. They they know that they can get eat. You get by your man, it, it, it you know it's an easy bucket at the rim if you have you know the skill set of a Kyrie or you have the strength of a LeBron or you know the uh, players aren't stupid. So you know just like what you said, Reagan. You know everything everything is gonna. Uh, uh, you know, change and go back, and the pendulum is going to swing back and forth. Yeah, and that, that floater is about to become one of the most, if not the most dangerous shots in basketball. That's like at this point, I don't think I see more shots wide open on a basketball court than a floater. You, they get that like Jamal Murray. I wish John Morant would do it more. He has it like right there. Lamelo Ball does it a lot. He needs to make it at a higher clip, but like floaters are right there for the taking if you know how to make that shot. Like, if you can hit that thing at a 50% clip, easy buckets, easy buckets. But, Eddie, I want to hear your, your opinion on, on everything we just said. Yeah, I, I will say that I get the idea of what you're saying, but also just given the way the math plays out is that you better be really good at making mid-range shots or floaters for you to be taking them over trying to get layups or three because – what happens when they try to stop the three, it's like players are going to be shooting from 30 feet instead of 28 feet. You know, they're going to be shooting from 32 feet instead of 30. Is that teams and, you know, trainers and, and players are going to keep on trying to prioritize the areas where they can get the most points. So to me, it's really about legislating fouls because that that's where the biggest discrepancy in the game is right now. Like if you get fouled shooting a three-pointer, and you go to the line three times, if you're a good free throw shooter, you're probably getting three points. You know, if you just take a normal three-pointer, that's still like a 50% at your very best chance, you know? So it's one of those things where I think the launch fouls that like Luca draws a lot of those, like some of the three-point fouls that Harden was really good at drawing. I think that, you know, if the NBA really wanted to take a look at it, they need to be, I guess, less hard on three-point shot and like fouling there you know like giving defenders more room there and you know being a little more lenient for the offensive player at the rim you know that way you have more people going to the rim and taking less three-point shots and you have this balance uh, you have a better balance on the floor by doing that well i, I want to ask you this because as team or as players as you hypothesized or postulated or you know another synonym for that word but um theorized perhaps as teams keep backing up and as players keep backing up on their three it's it's reasonable to conclude that that percentage drops more and more as they keep backing up defense you know what i mean that's going to open up more of the floor in the mid-range so it's reasonable to conclude that the mid-range the more open it gets that percentage goes up i don't know i mean i who knows if you've done the math or seen math on this or whatnot. It does, at, what like point also, does, at what point does the expected the value is, of a mid-range shot start to actually rival the expected value of a three-point shot? Like 33 feet, 35 feet? We're, we're talking about like reasonably open mid-range shots. I'm, that's a, I'm curious. I'm wondering at what point that would be the case. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that, you know, like the shift is not going to be mid-range or, or that sort of prioritization is that players since, you know, when they're young going through the pipeline are going to be taught to maximize, you know, their skills on offense and defense and find inefficiencies in the game. And, you know, they become like the new, I guess, specialties in the game, just like how Draymond was a specialty. And then, you know, shooters like Steph were a specialty, you know, like you're going to find new players that, you know, start disrupting the game in different ways. 
No doubt about it, man. It's going to be... That's part of the beauty of this, man. We don't really exactly... We can theorize all we want, but we really don't know which direction the game's going to go. We can postulate. We can theorize. We can predict. We can hypothesize. We can... <laughs> Y'all like that. Y'all like the thesaurus, bro. Just call me the thesaurus. I mean, one thing that you do know for a fact is that the Memphis Grizzlies just... No, don't do that. that that'll be it for this episode, y'all. I appreciate everyone for tuning in. I don't want to hear what the hell he's going to finish that statement with. So, as always, go check out the Instagram and the Twitter. That is no longer at SQR1Media. That is at Pod. H-O-O-P-H-O-L-L-E-R-P-O-D at Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. Julio, I'll be nice. You go ahead and finish that, man. Because I can take it. It's fine. It's fine. Go ahead and finish that statement. You're, you're, the, you're, you're the second coming to Stephen A. Smith. I'm the second um, coming to Stephen A. What I was going to say is, uh, <laughs> um, was uh, what we do know for certain that we don't have to hypothesize on is that the Memphis Grizzlies just signed a partnership deal with Hennessy. Oh, yeah. Is, See, like, I, my bad, Julio, because I thought you were going to go in the direction of saying, we don't have to hypothesize that the Memphis Grizzlies are never going to win an NBA championship because if we're going on precedent, that was like a 70% chance of what you were going to say. But, yes, the Memphis Grizzlies and the Charlotte Hornets, for that matter, signed a deal with Hennessy. You already know that's a Memphis-ass deal. <laughs> you already know. <laughs> but, um, no, nah, yeah, that, I mean, cool. Good for Memphis, you know. We don't get much around here, so I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna start putting John Morant. Uh, that's the other thing that's for certain. I'm gonna I'm gonna start putting John Morant in my uh, uh, ESPN trade machines. Oh, <laughs> I'm predicting six years down the road. Anyways, that'll do it for this episode, y'all. As always, who pilot pod Instagram, Twitter. Just killed my whole vibe, really, Julio. I, usually I try to have energy for the outro, but you really just killed it. So I guess we'll catch y'all next time or whatever. Like, this is green. This has been the Hoop and Holler Podcast.